It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on a wonderful Monday, May 4th. Uh, let's see, the LA Galaxy not playing any games. I, I'm sure nobody's really surprised about that, but we do have some stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about the 2014 MLS Cup that they did a replay of today. Uh, we're also going to sort of try to put everything into perspective in terms of where the LA Galaxy would have been right now. And I think that's something we're going to try to do on the podcast more to sort of understand the games that have been missed. Um, and sort of where in the schedule the Galaxy would be. And then the big sort of development that came out last Friday uh, before the weekend and something we haven't talked about a whole bunch is MLS is allowing teams to start some individual training. We'll see uh, and talk a little bit about how the Galaxy can do that and what hurdles will be involved uh, with the LA Galaxy as they try to do that. Uh, And then the governor of California, as we've been sort of watching Gavin Newsom, says that he's ready to take the state to stage two. And we talked about the stages and wrote some articles about it. So we have a whole bunch of stuff to get to on a a wonderful, nice, uh, almost it feels like summer evening. And to help us do that, of course, is uh, the pan himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going, buddy? Hey, it's not really summer. No one's at the beach. Or they better not be at the beach. I, I was going to say they were at the beach last weekend. Uh, but yeah, trust they were. Me. I think they can still be at the beach in Ventura. <laughs> they, might, they might. I'm sure there's some places where... Actually, even in Laguna, and I forget where else. I don't think it was Dana Point, but in Laguna, they put a, uh, put a plan together that actually will allow people to be at the beach. They're just not allowed to like go there and sit. They can go there for exercise and walk on the beach, but there's no like mass gatherings. Anyway, also all well, fun y- stuff. Y- you know, in my parallel life now as a Metro reporter, I was actually out at the beach in Ventura when it opened. And I was talking to a police commander, and he's he was talking about how nice it was in Ventura to see people on the beach and stuff. And he told me that he had been coming over to the beach on a regular basis in the mornings and walking there with his surfboard. And he said, I, I can walk on the streets with my surfboard, and I can go in the water with my surfboard. He goes, what I couldn't do is walk across the beach. I couldn't walk across the sand to get to the water. And I was like... <laughs> Well, you just said you'd been surfing, so how did you do that? And he goes, well, don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, so even the police are violating the law in some places. <laughs> I was going to say, don't tell anybody. You just told everybody on the podcast. You're, you know, yeah. I'm not going to tell you secrets. I, I, I'm starting to worry about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Things are improved. I think I always feel like it's one step forward, two steps back type of thing. Um, or two steps forward, one step back. I think that's the name of the song. Uh, that, by the way, for a little Josh trivia, Josh took one jazz dance class his entire life when he was, oh, about, let's say, 10 years old, 11 years old, something like that, because uh, his sister was doing ballet, and he was like, well, I want to try the dance. So I took one jazz dance class, and it was two steps forward, one step back, Paula Abdul. Uh, I enjoyed the class. I had a ton of fun. Never went back. So there you go. There's Josh trivia for you. Uh, it could have been a parallel career for you. It could have been. So close. So close. Uh, so close to, to, instead of being a podcaster, I could have been a, a jazz dancer. Uh, so you think you could dance, you could eat your heart out. So uh, there we go. All right. Uh, let's see. LA Galaxy uh, and today was another MLS Cup Monday. Uh, and so they replayed, Kevin, the 2014 MLS Cup. Now everybody remembers uh, this was the LA Galaxy versus the New England Revolution. It was the race to five. Um, and it was, uh, you know, the first to five in terms of the LA Galaxy winning five. And I believe it was the first to five, if I remember correctly, for New England for losing five MLS Cups. Yep. They're the only team to finish second five times. And did you know three of those losses came to the Galaxy? All five losses came by one goal. Once in uh, overtime, which was the Galaxy one, another one in penalty kicks, 
and the other three by one goal. And so, yeah, New England 0-5 in MLS Cup Finals three times to the Galaxy they lost. Yeah, we've, we've gone over the sort of the, whenever you look at the LA Galaxy and the wins that they've had in their five MLS Cups, uh, they've only beat two teams in that, and that's the Houston Dynamo and the New England Revolution, which is uh, always an interesting little trivia uh, turn there as well. Um, but yeah, it's it was an interesting game. I'll tell you this, it was a game the LA Galaxy ended up winning, obviously, uh, 2-1 to one, uh, in extra time, though. This was uh, Robbie Keane, uh, this was Landon Donovan, um, you know, this was a team that had, I think, Stefan Ishizaki on it. Uh, this was a team that had AJ De La Garza on it. And today, to sort of do the commentary, as they've been doing on this stuff, uh, was the one, the only Landon Donovan with Mr. Kobe Jones. So two LA Galaxy legends talking about this game and sort of going on about it. I think the most interesting thing that I took out of this is, is talking to or, or listening to Landon Donovan talk, Kevin. And... Uh, you know, I, and I, I'm sure that some people would, would laugh because the, they say that Landon is never good whenever he's doing interviews. I always found him to be very interesting. Uh, you just have to get over sort of the tone of voice that he puts in most of the stuff. Uh, but Landon was talking about that season, and he talked about it, one, that Landon knew that that was going to be, quote-unquote, his last game. It wasn't, and it didn't end up being his last game there, Kevin, but it was supposed to be his last game. Uh, and then the other part of that, and the part that he really sort of focused on, was uh, how there was extra motivation this year, and how the year really sort of turned around and centered around a very important person to the LA Galaxy, AJ De La Garza. Uh, and it was the Luca Knows Heart game that sort of turned the entire season around. And they, they, you know, Landon sort of mentioned it and said, you know, AJ was our brother. We had fought with him. We'd grown up with him. He was part of our team. And to see him hurting like that, it wasn't about the win, but it was about the team coming together. And it just sort of reminded me that one, winning MLS Cups or winning championships is really hard and two, Kevin, that you need to have something extra. There has to be something that sort of binds teams together, that brings them closer. It's adversity. It's something. It's a common goal. It's an understanding that the whole is greater than the than the some parts, uh, you know, than the parts around it. And that's sort of what you, you really have to understand when you look at the LA Galaxy's failure since. Where has been that extra and where has been that rallying and where has been sort of that that team? And I, I think those were sort of the, the big things I took away from from watching them talk about the 2014 MLS Cup. Well, when you talk about that, remember another thing, by the way, you know, we just said the Revolution have an MLS record finishing second or losing the MLS Cup five times. You know who the only other team to lose uh, MLS Cup more than twice is the Galaxy. Galaxy lost four times, finished second four times. Uh, to go with their five wins. But when you talk about A.J. De La Garza, remember you had uh, Daniel Steris on and interviewed him last week on the podcast, and you asked him about, or I don't remember if, you, if it was you or the Hammer, asked him about you know the, his favorite teammates, and he mentioned immediately A.J. De La Garza and then had to think a little bit to, before he named some other people. But um, I, I don't know anyone that didn't like A.J. De La Garza, and I thought that, that Dan, who got him at the end of his time with the Galaxy, still saw him as being a key and important teammate. And you're right. I mean, I think those teams, they had a number of things going for them. They had really good veteran leadership in, in Keane and Donovan and some others. They had guys that had been there forever, like uh, A.J. De La Garza. I think Omar was still on that team. Um, yeah, in fact, I think he was the MVP of that final, wasn't he? So, um, you know, you had guys that had been there. Um, they under, they took their uh, – the younger players took their lead from those guys. Um, there were players there that they were teaching people how to be pros and how to be players – and there was a team concept. Everybody felt like they were part of a team. Uh, and I think you're right. I think that is missing. If you look at the Galaxy now, you might say 
you know, Jonathan Dos Santos is sort of the, the guy, the center of that team, but he's only been there a couple of years. You know, only Steris and and uh, Sebastian Legetta are have been there since Bruce Arena's last team in 2016, and that's not all that long ago. And when you compare that to the 20, uh, 2014 team where AJ and, and uh, Omar had been there since 2009, a lot of those guys, Donovan had been there since before then. So it, it is a whole different team, and I think you're right. I think you can have a very talented team, and last year's team with Pavone and, and Zlatan and some of that, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos, it was a very talented team, but it wasn't a team. It was a collection of individuals. I think you're right. I think if the, you need that rallying point, and you need to, to be fighting for more than just yourself. And I think you're right. A lot of those guys were fighting for AJ. It was a guy they cared about, and that gave that team that little bit extra. And you're right. I do think it's missing because I do think – that the Galaxy, since Bruce has left, and, and Bruce may or may not have been the key to that, but since it's left, it's been a different kind of uh, feeling. It's been a feeling of, again, a collection of individuals and not a team. Yeah, it's what you said. You know, I don't know anybody who didn't like AJ De La Garza. Maybe Pete Vianis is one of those guys who didn't like AJ, being that it was uh, Pete's helm that they traded AJ De La Garza, saying that they couldn't afford to keep him. Um, which I think has been refuted a couple times uh, by a couple different people. So it's always interesting to, to sort of find that. Here's the crazy. Well, there's another yeah. thing. There's another thing though about that. Um, uh, something that that has been pounded into my head with all different sports is you look at a guy gets traded and you say, okay, well AJ gets traded. He's expendable. He's uh, he's too old. He doesn't have a role anymore. Whatever. That may be true for the team that's sending him away, but someone is taking him now. And AJ was taken by Houston, uh, and they had him on their team and in their clubhouse for a couple of years. He didn't play a lot. He had some injury problems and he didn't play as much as he did with the galaxy. And so what happens? Uh, you know, he's left unprotected in the expansion draft and you figure he's gone. No, Miami takes him. Why? Because he has that reputation of being a good clubhouse guy, of being a, a good team player, of being a veteran that can bring some younger players along. And you're looking at a Miami team that's going to have by definition, a lot of people that are new to MLS and need to learn how the league works AJ's the perfect guy for that. So when you look at a guy and you see he gets traded a lot, um, it could be, A, he's a bad clubhouse guy. We've seen some of those come through the galaxy in the last couple of years. Or it could mean he's such a good teammate that he's in high demand. And when he when he doesn't have a, a particular role on a team, someone's going to snap him up because he can help them, uh, you know, build their, their sort of, um, you know, you need a team culture, and AJ can help build that. Well, I think that's an important point. The, the other important point, there is that Bruce Arena understood the importance of having those guys in the locker room. Uh, and he did it throughout his entire career with the LA Galaxy. I mean, I remember Eddie Lewis and Greg Berhalter, you know, coming to the LA Galaxy. Mike y McGee. Yeah, Mike. I mean, even I, I would I wanted to sort of point out that, you know, whenever you look at um, at, at the guys who are important, it's sometimes not about their play on the field. And, you know, Eddie Lewis was important whenever he came, but he was also that veteran p presence. And Greg Berhalter was important when he played, you know, at center back. But I think it was his second year or his third year with the Galaxy, whenever he became like the player coach. Um, and, and so he sort of had that role as well, but, um, and I think AJ De La Garza has talked about Greg Berhalter. I think Sean Franklin talked about Greg Berhalter whenever we had him on, um, just in terms of, you know, what he brought to that young back line and sort of set them up for that success that they eventually had with Omar and AJ and Sean Franklin and Todd Donovan back there. Um, so, you know, it, it's important to have that. And I think that that's what was missing. If you get rid of AJ De La Garza, you understand you're not just getting rid of a player, who is a fan 
favorite, but you're getting rid of a player who holds a locker room together, who guys know. Uh, Baggio Husidic is another example of that, and Dan Stare has mentioned Baggio as well, um, that he was a guy that the guys trusted. And I think you're still missing that right now. I mean, you're, you you got to find those players who you can build sort of the club cohesiveness around. Um, Jonathan Dos Santos is a great guy. He seems to be a great guy. I think he's a, a good choice for captain. Uh, I think him wearing the armband is, is a good idea. But is he is he really that guy that uh, unites all those different players across the locker room? I don't know that. It's just a question. But you're missing that because you used to have guys like, as you pointed out, Mike McGee and Alan Gordon and A.J. De La Garza. You look at Dan Gargan. Uh, you look at Landon Donovan. Yeah, a great talent. But he was also you know one of these guys who, who knew how to sort of get the team. Robbie Keane. Uh, you know, I was I was talking in a in a thread today uh, to some people who are asking questions because obviously there's more Zlatan sort of you know getting slapped around by some Galaxy players and people are saying you know well the Galaxy players should have stood up to them in the locker room which I laugh at because I'm like yeah go ahead stand up to Zlatan see how that works but the bottom line is in that is that Robbie Keane was a was a big pain in the butt too. Um, but Robbie Keane did things to motivate guys, and it felt always felt like Zlatan was always trying to sort of tear de- tear down guys. Robbie Keane did it to motivate. Landon Donovan did it to motiv- motivate. If Landon yelled at you, it was because of that. I remember Bruce Arena screaming his head off with these all sorts of colorful language in a training session at Omar Gonzalez because Gonzalez had put his hand up saying, oh, well, that guy's offside. And Bruce went off for about, oh, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, just screaming. Stop the whole training session, which was like 11-11 sort of scrimmage going on. Stop the whole thing, Kevin, and screamed at Omar Gonzalez and just took him down to the smallest little piece. But you know what? You always knew that Bruce wasn't doing that to tear people down. He was doing that to build them up, to motivate them, to get them better. Um, and that's what I think has sort of been missing if you look at these last couple of years. Again, that guy, who's that rallying guy that, you're, that you want to fight for? Um, because you talk to all the 2011 guys, the 2012 guys, the 2013, 2014, all through Bruce's time, and they talk about the most important thing was that they were willing to fight for each other. Uh, 2012, Todd Donovan talked about it extensively on this program, about how everybody was just such good friends, both in the locker room and off, but it wasn't just that. It was it was the fact that they were willing to fight for each other. And if anybody had an off day, they were willing to pick up the slack for that person. It wasn't a blame game. It wasn't pointing fingers. It was like, you're not going to, if you can't do it today, I can do it for you. I can help you. Um, And that's missing right now. Well, you know, the thing is, is uh, the team sort of started to lose a little bit and I'm not blaming him. I'm not blaming this player for it, but it started to change a little bit when Steven Gerrard came in and the team at that point that year, 2015 and the 2016 began to uh, divide itself into thirds uh, is what players told me. There was the European players, and at that point, uh, that was Gerard, that was Robbie Keane. Um, forget, I don't know if Van, Van Dom wasn't there then. I don't know if he was there no. then. Nigel, Nigel de Jong may have been there in 2016. But there was the European contingent, and they went off and did their own thing. Then there was the American veteran contingent, and that was Alan Gordon and, and Landon and some of those players. And then there was the younger guys. And they all each group was suspicious of the other group. The European players are like, you can't touch us. We're way better than you. The MLS veterans were like, hey, you know what? We deserve, deserve some respect. We've been around a while. And the younger guys were like, no one gives us any credit for being good players. And they felt like, like the veterans didn't really have their back and weren't uh, on the same page as them. And that and you could see what happened with that team. You know, it didn't. It did it got to the playoffs, but it, it and it should have with the players that it had, but it didn't really succeed. The teams before that, the 2014 team you're talking about, 
in particular, those guys used to go to dinner all the time. They used to hang out socially uh, and a lot of the same players. So you can see it's not necessarily a player. It's, it's the mood and the mixture and the culture that emerges. And so that team of 2016 kind of divided itself a little bit. Um, when you talk about Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan, one thing I, I stories I've heard about those two is, you're right. Robbie Keane would be uh, brutally honest with players on the field and would be very critical. But his message, as I understood it, always was you can do better than that. That was a mistake that's beneath you. Don't do that again. You're smarter than that. And for some guys, it came off as a little bit harsh. I think Zlatan's message always was you're not as good as me. Uh, whereas Keen was, you can be better than that. And and there's a, it, it sounds like a semantic difference, but there's a lot of meaning to that. And one of the things Landon used to do, and this made Robbie and Landon sort of good cop, bad cop, is Robbie used to ride Giassi's artists unmercifully, just was always uh, on on Giassi because he thought he could be better. And he was, he did get better. And Landon would be the guy that would come up behind him and clean that up. When, uh, when Giassi was on the verge of tears, he'd say that, don't worry, that's okay. Robbie's just a little tough on you. He th- he wants you to be better. It's okay. You're doing fine. And, and that worked with a guy like Giassi, who was, you know, very sort of, uh, um, you know, had an emotional side to him at that right. point when he was trying to find his way. One last thing I wanted to say about the way you talk about how players handle things differently um, if you have a team where everybody thinks that they should be playing, and, and you mentioned Baggio, Baggio wanted to play in the worst way, but Baggio knew what his role was, and he knew that on this team he was going to be, if he was going to suit up at all, he was going to be on the bench. And did he like that? No, he wanted to play. Of course he did. But he understood that role, and he didn't complain about it, and and some other players did not complain about it either. And uh, an example I think, too, is one of the first teams I covered, which it's in another sport, with the 2003 Marlins, who won the World season, uh, World Series that year, they had a, a, a really good starting lineup, but then there was a huge drop-off. And there were guys on the bench, and anyone who's a baseball fan might remember some of the names, Mike Mordecai, um, Todd Hollinsworth, Lenny Harris, um, uh, Brian Banks. These guys knew they weren't going to play. They knew they weren't good enough. And so what they did is they made the best of what they could do with the situation. They used to do things like have seating charts on the bench. And when players came off the field, they had to go to where their seating chart was. It was goofy, sophomoric stuff, but it kept the team loose. When teams came off the field, if a pitcher gave up five runs in the first inning, those substitutes were at the top step of the dugout to greet that guy when he came off to let him know everything was okay. And it was really important. And there were two key moments in that year. The team got in a real bad slump and Mike Redman, who was the backup catcher, Whenever the team was in a slump, he would take batting practice in the batting cage naked, and everybody just would go watch him, and they thought it was the funniest thing. And they'd go out loose and not worry about the the losing streak, and they'd go out and play well. And the, the day of the Game 6 of the World Series at Yankee Stadium, Mike Redman organized a pool in the team bus to say, which street will we get to in New York before the first fans flip us off? on the way there. That was the way that they rode to the game, uh, game six of the world series when they should have been super tight. Instead, they were watching New Yorkers to see who would flip them off. You need people to do that, to relax the team. Um, And that is what a teammate does. It's not a guy. He's not worried about his playing time. He's worried about making sure the others around him do the job and the team wins. And it's really important to have those players. And if you don't, you go out and get one because you're going to need one in a long season. Yeah, it's 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 always a listen. I'll I'll clean up one thing, and and I've been told this many times. And you're right about the split in the locker room between the three different sets of players, and that I'm told those are there are always those splits, right? But it's about how 
they still do stuff together and it's about how, you know, it's still about a team. Like, yeah, you could have those three. Yeah, the young guys are going to hang out with the young guys and the older guys are probably going to hang out with the older guys. And, you know, yeah, the guys from, you know, Europe are going to hang out with, the, the, there's there's always these little cliques and there's these little groups, but it's about whether or not those keep the team divided or whether or not you can still pull everybody together. I mean, you need to talk about a, a guy who didn't get it whenever he showed up. It was, you know, David Beckham. And we've talked about that many times. Um, and how really his attitude and the way that he was going about things, because it, it was what he was used to in Europe, was really dividing him from the rest of the team. And you look at the teams and how horribly, not only were they probably constructed badly, um, but they were also uh, just, they didn't play as teams. And, you know, Bruce Arena's first thing whenever he came in 2008 really was to sit down with Landon and with David Beckham and mend that fence and bring those two together and if you could bridge that gap between those two then all of a sudden other things started to be bridged and, and everything sort of came together um, so all of this you know I know it's a long sort of way for us to just say hey you know the 2014 MLS Cup was really interesting um, but it was also sort of the last real indication of although 2015 and 2016 certainly had some talent on them um, and I can't remember which one it was the team with Nigel DeYoung on it was that 2016 or 2015 I can't 2016, remember 2016 2016 yeah yeah and, and you've told the story many times, uh, you know, the coaching staff of the LA Galaxy at the time believes if Nigel Jeong wasn't transferred out um, in that season, forced out, uh, whether or not they got rid of him, whether they didn't want him to be a designated player, however that myth has sort of wound its way and, and sort of, uh, you know, whether there's any truth to any of that. Uh, but if Nigel Jeong stayed on that team, they thought they could win MLS Cup that year. Um, so that's just a way of, of sort of, you know, putting all this stuff together. But that 2014 team really was sort of the last team team that we have seen put together for the LA Galaxy. Um, and, you know, that's almost six years ago, Kevin. Um, well, and, and one of the things you talk about the Uniters, you know, yes, you do have those fractions in every team, but there are the good teams have the Uniters, like in, in the case of the Galaxy. Landon, you know, Jaime Pinedo was on that team and Jaime Pinedo did not was not comfortable speaking much English, at least not with us. I don't know. I, I assume it was the same in the locker room. He had a, a corner locker. He's off by himself. Well, Landon could speak to the Spanish speaking guys. He could speak to the English speaking guys. That was really important because you get that group in the corner speaking Spanish and all of a sudden uh, some player with a fragile ego is over there. Are they talking about me? Are they laughing at me? And Landon's the guy that goes between and says, no, they're not talking about you. They're talking about this. And what do you want to ask them? And uh, the, the guys that can go between those groups and that have the, the gravitas to earn respect from both sides, those guys are real important too, because maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe AJ can't go talk to Jaime Pinedo, but Landon can sort of be that bridge and they be, those guys become friends, even though they really can't talk to each other. When, when you don't have that person building those bridges, um, then that those, those fractions, be, they begin to turn on one another. And that's another important part too. Uh, Landon was able to speak to, you know, help build that bridge between the Spanish speaking guys and the Anglos and also the Europeans and the non-Europeans because he had played at Everton and he was a world cup star. He had the respect of all those players. So, uh, you know, again, it, it it helps to have those guys that have everybody's back and want and get can get everybody on the same page. And you have to have the respect of your teammates to do that. And a, a rookie coming in, you know, Ethan Zubik can't come in and, and clean up the Galaxy locker room. It's just not going to happen. It right. falls to guys like a Pavone or Jonathan Dos Santos. And and that's what Landon did. And that's another reason why Landon is probably the greatest American player of all time. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's yeah. going to start a big fight, but he is. No, I don't know why. Uh, you're speaking to a Galaxy audience. I imagine that they would probably agree with you pretty quickly. Um, yeah, uh, he is, and he's probably one of the greatest LA Galaxy players of all time as well. Um, you know, you can certainly make an argument for Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane came in and was like the finishing touch on so many things. Um, I, I, I honestly, uh, I don't think 
Kevin, that we all understood what we were seeing with Robbie Keane, um, you know, just in terms of what he was able to do on the field until he was gone. He was a guy who was certainly dominant, but he wasn't like Zlatan dominant, although guess what? Nobody really has been Zlatan dominant in this league ever. Um, and so you look at that and, and Robbie Keane, what he was able to do, but um, it was just it was just fun watching. I'll, I'll, I'll end this sort of little segment with just a little little story that I've told many times uh, that uh, about Dave Sarakin and what Dave told me after this game. Uh, and Dave basically said, he said, listen, we never had a doubt in our minds that we weren't going to win that game until New England scored. Um, and, you know, it was one nothing for the LA Galaxy in the second half, and pretty much that seemed like that was probably going to be the end of it. Jossi Zarda scored um, in that second half, and it should have been over, and it should have been done, um, and then it wasn't because New England ended up scoring later in that second half, and all of a sudden that was the first time the LA Galaxy and, you know, and Dave Sarakin and the coaching staff ever questioned about whether or not they were going to win that game, and it came down to Robbie Keane in extra time uh, to get that goal in the 2-1 win, and that was a fun one. That also is the famous A.J. De La Garza tackle on Charlie Davies. Um, that was the one where AJ tra- tracked Charlie Davies uh, all the way across the field, basically, I think from the half line all the way into the penalty box. And then it was a slide tackle in the penalty box, perfectly timed. It was 1v1. It was everything you wanted to be. And uh, I-, I think there were a couple of people on uh, on uh, Twitter today. I think uh, Joe, uh, Joe Costanza was one of them. She was saying, um, and I'm sure I screwed up her last name because I do that all the time. Uh, but she was saying how everybody sort of held their breath. Uh, as that play was happening, as AJ's tracking Charlie Davies, and he's in, you know, that's that's back in the zone, and it was behind everybody, and it was just those two guys, you know, and a goalkeeper, um, and so they're they're doing that, and everybody sort of holds their breath, and then AJ makes that tackle, and the place just erupts. It may be, I don't know, Kevin, is that the most famous defensive play in LA Galaxy history? Because it feels like the most famous defensive play in LA Galaxy history, and I'm not even sure I can even name another one right now off the top of my head, but that's why I feel like this is the most famous play, uh, defensive play in LA Galaxy history. Well, the most famous play by a defender might have been Dave Starris's, uh headed ball forward to Zlatan against LAFC. Oh, Dan Starris. Dan, Dan Starris, Dave Romney. Dave. They're two different guys. The, not you, really. You, not really. In my the, mind, they're the same. They're the same. I understand. All right. Uh, let's move on real quick. Just where would the LA Galaxy have been? Um, if you're looking over this weekend, and I know a bunch of people were sort of reminiscing and saying that they should have been going to Portland because the LA Galaxy were supposed to play at Portland on Saturday, May 2nd. That game obviously postponed along with the rest of them, but it would have been a busy week for the LA Galaxy. And we talked about May being a ridiculous busy mo- ridiculously busy month. Uh, boy, did we know that it could be end up being uh, the rest of the season. Way it's just, busy. Yeah. yeah, way busier. <laughs> Um, but uh, it would have been a, an away game at, at Portland, and then it would have been a midweek away game at Colorado. So two places the uh, the LA Galaxy have struggled. So Wednesday, May 6th, that one's coming up. That would have been a trip to Colorado, uh, a midweek Wednesday game, and then it would have been home on Sunday to play uh, the New York Red Bulls. So a difficult week for the LA Galaxy in playing Portland and playing at altitude in Colorado, a place that they have struggled before in both places, Portland and Colorado in recent times, they've struggled. Um, and then playing a team that's always difficult for them to play the New York Red Bulls um, at home. Um, so that's really where the galaxy would have been right now. We're through May 10th on the schedule uh, coming up this Sunday. Um, and we've only played uh, what two games, two games so far uh, for the LA galaxy. So we'll see if uh, any of that changes. Uh, now, Kevin, there is a shift and a shift happened on Friday. Uh, MLS, like uh, some of the country, um, is starting to open things up a little bit more. 
Um, and while we say open, it, it feels like this is more restrictive than anything else that's sort of going on. But MLS basically said that they're going to begin uh, individual player workouts beginning on May 6th. So that's on Wednesday. Uh, teams can have individual player workouts on May 6th. What did you uh, what did you take from all of that fun, uh, fun stuff from that press release there, Kevin? Well, you know, you can make an argument any any which way what this means. What I took for, from it was that it was a very tentative first step toward normalcy. Um, there are so many caveats and exemptions to that. Um, players can work out in uh, the fields. Practice fields uh, will be divided into quadrants. It has to be an outdoor field, so some teams that have indoor facilities can't use those. It has to be an outdoor field divided into four quadrants. The uh, Players can train by themselves in one of those four quadrants. They cannot use or touch anything that another player has touched. So, for example, if in quadrant A is Chicharito, who still doesn't have a goal this season, and quadrant B is Pavon, if Chicharito it kicks the ball and it goes into Pavon's zone, he cannot touch it, cannot pick it up, cannot kick it, cannot do anything. Chicharito or someone has to go get that ball. You can't go into the other player's quadrant. Anything the player touches, a cone, a ball, uh, if he touches the goalpost, that has to be... Uh, um, it has to be cleaned afterwards and it has to be sanitized. Players have to get dressed in their workout equipment at home. They must wear PPE, you know, personal protective equipment as they go from the car to the field. They cannot stop in the restroom. They cannot use the locker room. They cannot use the gym. As you can see, there is a lot of caveats. They can't, uh, and they, and they, they must wear their protective equipment as they go back to the car. Um, they can't touch anything. Anything they touch has to be sanitized. The idea is, as a MLS explains this, is they were concerned about players going to public parks and other places to to work out, to kick a ball around, kick it against a wall, or whatever they were going to do. They can't train with anybody else. But as they went to these public places, they were putting themselves in danger of being exposed by the people in the park. So MLS said, hey, we can keep our places clean. We can keep, we, we can keep track of who's coming and going. And so let's have them come here. I think that was a really good idea. Uh, I think it serves a number, a number of other purposes. If you're a guy who hasn't been around the team in two, in two months, and that's everybody, getting to go back to your uh, training place and just to see it, just to step on the grass at your own training facility, I think that's going to make a huge difference mentally for a lot of players. When th another thing the team has to do is they have to schedule these things so you don't have all 28 players showing up at 9 a.m., when only four can be on a field at a time. So you stagger who's the comings and going, so not too many people are there at the same time. But I think mentally it's going to make a big difference of guys getting to come back and just visually see those the facilities again. And I think it's, a, like I said, a tentative first step. If this works, I can see some of those restrictions being, you know, being uh, um, lessened. Maybe all of a sudden maybe you guys can go use the restroom or maybe they can go uh, – Maybe use a gym if they wear gloves when they touch the equipment. Whatever it is, I just see this as a first trial balloon uh, to, as MLS tries to get back to some sense of normalcy. If they really want to uh, resume the season anytime soon, they're going to have to get these first steps out of the way. You just can't go from, hey, we can't meet at all to we got a game next week. So this is the first step toward that, I think. Yeah, and, and with all the fields um, at Dignity Health Sports Park. It's, by the way, can I just say it's good to have your squeaky chair back? I just, oh, I just thank you. I thank miss you. the squeaky chair. 
Um, but having said that, at Dignity Health Sports Park um, and looking at all of the fields that they have there, realistically, uh, if you took all of the grass fields that they have there, you might be able to get 28 players uh, there at different fields at different times. Yeah, but um, see, MLS doesn't want that because you might have uh, everyone's trying to park in the same place. I mean, there they really are what they're trying to do. We'll talk a little bit about Europe in a minute, but a lot of the decisions being made in Europe are being determined by political uh, people. Like, we don't want to open this up. We don't want to allow this to happen. Health officials are worried about this. I think what MLS is really worried about, again, you know, they have teams in 17 states and three provinces of Canada. They don't want to piss anybody off. They don't want the Galaxy to come with 28 players. And yes, by the letter of the law, no one's in anyone else's quadrant. That could happen. But all of a sudden you have 28 players in the parking lot and uh, you know, uh, somebody, uh, some LA County supervisor says, Hey, that's violating the letter of the law. That's against what we're trying to do. Right. We're going to have to shut you down. Now the rest of MLS has to shut down because everybody has to be equal. So I, I think what they, I, I don't, I don't see the galaxy doing that. I think MLS really wants this staggered. So you maybe have four to five to six players, uh, you know, in the same zip code at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I would also say this, the MLS is not, is deciding not to make this equal though, because really all of this stuff that we're talking about, um, by the way, they said that you, I think they had assigned parking spaces like that were certain distance apart from each other. Whenever people came in, it was a real, I mean, you're talking about a, an action plan for all these like related issues and everything that goes on. This is going to be a thick booklet by the time this is all done. Um, yeah. and so, and by the way, I've been told the LA galaxy, you have already been working on it and that they are already going for approval now here's the thing mls has to approve it but mls isn't the first approval you actually have to get local and state approval first uh which could be a problem for the la galaxy and being in la county and being in the state of california i think uh they were talking about new york and i saw you know new york city fc basically they're saying they're not going to get that approval yet because new york is still pretty much locked down and so they're not going to be able to go to those outdoor facilities um, and they're not going to get that approval right away. Um, and so this is where MLS is not being equal, Kevin. They're saying you can start on May 6th, but there's going to be people who are, you know, easily go, you know, if you're in Texas right now, I'm sure you can go and head at, do whatever you sort of need to do um, out there. If you're in California, it's probably going to be a little bit more of a lengthy process. But having said that, um, you know, this this step forward is a step. It's also a step forward, Kevin, that can easily be reined back in if for some reason, you know, the state sees a surge in cases and they're going to start pulling stuff in. This is something that can be easily turned back around and said, nope, you know, we changed our minds. You can't do the individual workouts anymore. You know, well, everybody well, needs to go back to, to shelter in place. That's why I see it as an important first step, because you're right. It, it, it will be, I mean, shoot, in Miami, they're probably going to allow people, 10,000 fans to come watch the workouts. I mean, the way things are going in Miami and Atlanta and some of those places. Um, but it, you're right. I mean, it, 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 what they're doing, again, I, I look at it as a trial balloon. What they're doing is trying to identify some of these things. MLS says, here are our common sense rules for approaching this. And they find out, you know, Colorado and Utah and Washington State and, and Oregon, they all say, yeah, that's great. These are really good rules. We like these. And California and, uh, I, you know, some other states are going to say, you know, Illinois, no, we can't do that. And so now MLS gets again, it's a trial balloon. MLS gets to look at this and say, oh, okay, I see what you guys are looking for. What if we try this? And, and what if we uh, change this around? What what bothers you about this rule? And as they engage with all of these, uh, you know, political entities and health entities across the country and in, into Canada as well, they're going to start to find out where the problems are. And so when they really do get ready to open up full workouts and, and maybe start thinking about games, They've already started the dialogue with some of these people. They've already found out what their issues are. They've found out ways to address them. Uh, and, and again, I think if you just try to say, 
on Tuesday, we're not having any workouts. And on uh, Wednesday, we're going to have workouts. And on Thursday, we're going to have games. That's not going to happen. This is the first start in that process. And yeah, they're going to be a couple steps forward and a step back, but they're making progress. I mean, they're trying to have workouts in some cities beginning Wednesday, even though it's under all of these these draconian rules. That's better than not having anything at all, right? right. It's a first step forward. Yeah, it is. Well, in related news along that, uh, as we've been following along, Governor Gavin Newsom here in California uh, is talking about moving the state to stage two. We talked, I think, on last Thursday about stage one and stage two and sort of uh, the different levels of reopening. We told everybody we were in stage one, which is staying at home, flattening the curve, building out the testing and the PPE and the hospital capacity and making essential workplaces as safe as possible. And then they were basically going to prepare the sector by sector guidelines for a safe reopening, basically looking towards stage two. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom now says that stage two uh, likely to happen in the next couple of days. Uh, I think there's actually going to be an announcement on Friday uh, that sort of talks about this, but he's been already sort of tipping his hat in terms of what's what could possibly be reopening. That includes retail with um, all these things that are going to be reopened probably have these adaptations in them, right? Which is retail, um, you know, curbside pickup, uh, being able to, to drive. But by the way, I think I said it on Thursday, I'm going to say it again right now. If we could just have the curbside pickup stuff happen all the time. I'm okay with that. Uh, even whenever we get out of this stuff, I very much like not having to get out of my car at Target or getting out of my car at like a bakery or someplace like that. And they just toss it in the back of the car. It's, it's, it's lazy. Um, and I agree with that. Uh, but I, I'm very much enjoying that. So anyway, uh, it, it's so the stage two is some of this retail with the curbside pickup. It's, you know, some manufacturing with uh, being able to keep the social distancing in place. It's offices where telework's not possible, although it sounds like offices won't necessarily be part of this uh, stage two reopening right away. But it's talking about more public spaces being opened up. And, you know, there's obviously a, a big hubbub about beaches and other stuff. So it'll be interesting to sort of see what stage two things he originally talked about are in this actual stage two. But we talk about that, Kevin, because whenever you move to stage two, after stage two comes stage three and we've always known that it seems like stage three would be you know a month or months away uh, but that's where you get sports without live audiences uh, in the governor's plan is in stage three. And so as we're progressing down this, it, it seems like it, it shows some good progress that we're out of stage one uh, and that we're possibly moving into stage two as things start to reopen here in California. Um, but you're still it feels like a long way away from stage three. It's exactly like what we were just talking about with the individual workouts. We're taking we're dipping a toe in the water. Uh, and we're sort of seeing how that goes. And, I, you know, I would imagine that Governor Gavin Newsom could take us back to stage one if things don't go well. Um, but that's sort of where we're at right now is it looks like stage two is approaching. Stage three is where we have our sports without live audiences and movie theaters and in-person in religious services. And then stage four is the concerts, convention centers, live audiences and the end of stay at home uh, order, which I don't expect uh, possibly even in this calendar year. Maybe uh, next year sounds like it might yeah. be a better, better slow time for stage four. Yeah, I think stage three is really far away. And you, we've seen from some of these states that have opened up too soon. Mississippi's the latest where their governor was talking big about, I'm going to go forward with this. And, and you know, the is, the is the cure really worse than the disease and all that kind of stuff? And all of a sudden he opened up and they had their their biggest one day jump in both cases and deaths. And so now he is backtracking really quickly. We've seen the same thing in Florida and Georgia where they opened up way too quickly and, and they had uh, COVID just rushed back in. Now, what Governor Newsom has said is on Friday, um, he wants to move to, as you said, to stage two. What he wants to do is open, reopen bookstores, florists, 
clothing shops, other retail shops, sporting goods stores is one thing that he wants to open. Uh, and it would be for curbside pickup again. Uh, and you're right, it's a little toe in the water. Now, here's the problem with that is in where you live in Orange County, that may go forward and that may very well happen this Friday. Uh, Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles and, and the Los Angeles County is taking its lead from Mayor Garcetti. So that's the city of Carson. Um, he says we, we may not do that. He said they may take some baby steps, which he didn't just des- didn't uh, describe what those would be. But the city and county of Los Angeles, they're still shooting for reopening schedule that's much closer to May 15th. Right. So we may see Orange County, Riverside County, uh, Ventura County. They may open some of these things, florist bookshops, uh, sporting goods stores. They may open on Friday and we may not see that in Los Angeles until May 15th. So that would the galaxy would be under the old rules. They would whatever they're allowed to do in Carson today. Uh, they could do through, uh, you know, through May 15th, but they couldn't do anything more than that. So, right. again, even even the city, you know, it, if you're on one side of the L.A. County line and the Orange County side, on uh, you're on that side, you may be under different rules come this Friday. Um, and I, I do think that there will be a large gap. We're talking about from the shutdown to now, it's about six weeks. There may be a, an equally large gap bes- between stage two and three. So we may be able to go buy flowers, but not take them to a sporting event even in an empty stadium for quite some time. Yeah, it's, again, uh, a little bit of a new normal that we're all having to adjust to. Uh, I, I always, uh, I, I said this today, it's like nobody likes this. Um, nobody wants to be doing this. Uh, I was talking to uh, some of my family members, some of my sister, you know, my sister, and you, you just sort of sit there and sort of say, you know, this this sucks. And yeah, it sucks. Um, it does. There's there's no thing where, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to wear a mask. Uh, I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. Uh, while I think there are some excellent ones out there made by some excellent people that have some LA Galaxy stuff on them or your different sports teams, whatever it is, I think that's fun. It's a way to make things that suck. Uh, the things that suck just a little less sucky whenever you could do it and, you know, show some support for something uh, and, and, you know, have a different color and that type of thing. Uh, I've sort of become a, a mask collector. My wife is having to say no more. I'm not allowed to buy any more um, because I'm like, oh, look at that one. It's got a pretty color over there. I'm going to choose. I, anyway, it's it gets out of hand. You know uh, what? I look I look way better in a mask. The more of my face you can cover up, the better. <laughs> if I could get a hockey mask, that would be great. That would be perfect. I understand. Uh, yes, yes. I think I probably, the way my hair is growing right now and everything else, I I would I would probably agree with you. So, uh, but you know, at the same time, th- we're all doing this together, and so uh, you know, it all sucks together. If there's anything that we, we talk about bringing a team together, Kevin, uh, you know, sometimes there needs to be a common thing. What was it? It was the Miracle on Ice, right? It was the hockey team. Uh, if you've ever watched that movie that they sort of recreated that in, and they they talked about the Miracle on Ice and the the USA Olympic uh, hockey team and beat the Russians, um, they they said that there was a common thread on that, and that was basically that they all hated. Uh, I believe Herb Brooks, right? The, Herb the Brooks, yeah, yeah, the coach. Yeah, they all hated him. Um, so he was that common thing that they all hated. That they wanted. They're like, we're going to do this, you know, in spite of him. Um, and he was a real motivator in that way, and he understood what was going on. It was the psychology of the whole thing is that he had to be, you know, the bigger sort of uh, gorilla in the room. So that way, whenever they had to play, you know, the Russians, that they they wouldn't fear the Russians because uh, they were fearing Herb. Uh, more than anything else. So, it's, so what we're what we're doing in this case is we're being together by staying apart. There, exactly. That is. Haven't you seen it? It says uh, I have my shirt on sometimes. Uh, whenever I do the podcast, it says "United We Stand Apart." Um, and that's that's sort of it's, it has a little six foot mark on there. And by the way, 
uh, six feet is sort of an arbitrary number. I just want to, so if it's like, you know, minimum of six feet, but 10 feet is better and 12 feet is better and a couple miles is better. Seven miles is really good. 12, 15 miles, 20 miles. Sometimes I wish I just had a little shack in the mountains I could go to uh, during this time. So I'm uh, going to have to think about that one for the future. Uh, if the podcast takes off, uh, I'm going to use all that podcast dough to, to go by my, my shack in the mountains, I think. There, Kevin. Uh, maybe. We'll see. All right. I think that's it. We've probably run out of things to talk about now. Well, I, I wanted to mention one thing, though, when you talk about reopening the possibility of games. Um, I've been taking a, a long look at some of the things going on in Europe lately um, as they're trying to open up. And, and you know, pay attention to this because I think it, it, there are some lessons in it for us. And you look at some of the major leagues there, Italy, the United Kingdom, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany. Um, they're all operating under different rules. And, and you know, when you look at how close Europe is, I mean, you know, Spain and Portugal share a border and they're under t- totally different rules uh, as far as the way they handle um, COVID-19, you know, same with uh, Spain and France. So we have a situation where France, they were getting ready to open up. They thought they might be playing, they thought they would be training by now and probably playing games the end of this month or next month. The French government stepped in last Tuesday and said, nope, no sporting events, even in an empty stadium until at least September. That's it. We've made our decision. See ya. And the French league had to fold. Uh, And they had been talking about some teams going bankrupt at that point. Spain, they were cleared to begin training uh, today as we record Monday. That's been pushed back to Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and the players will get tested as they go into training. Spain is uh, hoping to play games again this summer, next month. The United Kingdom, they're talking about they would lose $1.25 billion, with a B, dollars in TV revenue if they don't start. They have not gotten permission to even be, uh, begin training again yet. They no, don't know how they're going to be, uh, you know, begin the season. Right. Syria A ah, and Italy, they're beginning training again this week. They're hoping to start the season next month. They don't know if that'll happen. Italian government officials haven't uh, okayed that yet. And in Portugal, they're beginning training again this week, and they've already been cleared to start on May 30th. One of the things with this disease, when you look at Portugal and Spain, the, the numbers on each side of the common border, how Spain just got hammered and Portu- Portugal really didn't feel much of an effect from COVID-19 at all. You see the same thing in the Dominican Republic, which got wiped out, and then Haiti, which shares a border. Um, it, it, everything's fairly normal on the Haitian side. So it's really weird the way this is going. But Germany may be the one that is uh, the most unusual. A couple of weeks ago, Germany started training again individually, guys going in working with training partners so that they could keep any spread uh, from getting out of control. They've been in training for a couple of weeks, long enough for Jack Steffen, the U.S. national team goalkeeper, to get hurt again. That's how long they've been in training, although it really didn't take much for him to get hurt. So, But anyway, the point is they've been in training pointing for a May 9th. They were supposed to start this weekend, May 9th resumption. Well, Germany started to open up a little bit under Angela Merkel, and they've been hit with another wave of COVID. And now there's a real danger that the Bundesliga may not start at all, certainly not by May 9th, maybe not uh, at all. Uh, Cologne has had two players and a physiotherapist test positive for COVID-19. So, um, you know, I have a situation where last week Germany was getting ready to go ahead on May 9th. Now they may not play again at all. And that's the thing to look at with MLS as we get closer um, you know, they may be training, everything may be going great. And one team, Atlanta United, somebody gets hit with a couple of positive tests and everything goes on hold. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, you know, it, it, you're walking a, a tightrope on this. And, and the bottom line is, you know, Dan Stairs said it when he was on our show, um, you know, last week. Dave, uh, Dave uh, Stairs. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Dan, you know, said very clearly, he was like, you know, what happens if somebody gets this? He goes, everybody thinks it's just so easy to play a closed door. He goes, but like if we're quarantined for any amount of time and because it's the full season too, or as many games as they possibly 
play. He goes, so you're going to put us all in one place. You're going to basically have that hotel on lockdown or whatever it is. Uh, We're going to have to go and play. And he goes, and what happens when ultimately somebody does get it? Are you going to shut down the whole league? Are you going to take that team out? Like, how do you sort of shut that whole thing down or how do you track it and trace it? And so there really has to be these emergency plans put into place, which is, okay, what happens if one player, obviously they're going to get tested all the time. So you're hoping that the time between testing is so minimal that the spread can't be as large as it possibly can. And so you're limiting it to a certain thing. But I mean, what if it's your star player? And then all of a sudden right. now he's out and he took out, you know, your, your starting goalkeeper as well. So now your star player and your goalkeeper are out. How is that fair to you? What are you, you know, and what about the rest of the team? And is anybody going to want to play that team or do you have to take that team fully out of it? It just, it's very difficult to see that path forward, especially whenever we know that Kevin, I mean, let's go back to where this whole thing got shut down as well, which was, you know, a player on an NBA team tested positive just before they were getting ready to play. The league says, okay, that's it. We have to just stop now. There's no way for us to go forward. They stop. NBA stops. The, you know, MLS literally follows right behind that. We got one day on March 11th, we got directives that said, well, everybody's going to fly charters because we're worried about the teams traveling on airlines and that could be the thing. And then March 12th was, oh, wait, by the way, we stopped. Well, when you talk about the schedule this week, what would the schedule would have been for the Galaxy Saturday in Portland on Wednesday in Colorado and then home on Sunday to the New York Red Bulls. Let's go back and look at that. Now, we know that the disease can can uh, you can have the disease for 14 days and it doesn't manifest itself. So that's where you're supposed to do the contract that the contact tracing back 14 days. So let's just say for sake of argument on May 2nd. The Galaxy played Portland, and then they played the other game with the Rapids, and then they played New York. That's within a 14-day span. Right. And then let's say on May 11th, Chicharito tests positive. Okay, well, not only does Galaxy have to go in quarantine, but so do those, those three teams that the Galaxy just played. So does the teams that those teams played. So let's say Portland played two games after that. So there's Portland and its two opponents. Then we have Colorado and its two opponents. Then we have the New York Red Bulls. Well, they just met Chicharito, so they don't have to worry about that. They just have to quarantine themselves, not their opponents. But you can see now all of a sudden we got a third of the league shut down by one guy testing positive. We don't know if anyone else tested positive. We don't know if anyone else is sick. Another thing that that Dan Steris said that I thought was really interesting is he said, let's say we have a tournament and we finish the season and there's an MLS Cup. Whether we play 34 games or not, he said that team – is always going to have an asterisk. It's going to be like, oh, you won that year. You won in 2020. That was the year you won. And he's right because, again, let's look at, let's, you talk about your star player gets, uh, you know, is quarantined. You know, let's say it's a, um, um, uh, you know, Chicharito or Carlos Vela gets sick and they're quarantined and then you play them and they don't have their best players and you win. It's one thing if a guy gets injured. He got injured on the field. That's fair. Um, I think everyone gets that. But to be sidelined by a disease, maybe he's not even necessarily sick. Maybe he's not, you know, in needing an ICU. Or maybe he's just quarantined at home. But he can't play in that game. It's going to affect the way the season plays out. And yeah. I think whether we start again or not, and everyone's hopeful that we do, and maybe everybody gets to play, but still, it's going to be that year with the asterisk because. You know, the season was different. You played more games in the summer than normal. You played more games uh, in a week than normal. Maybe a DP was injured or, or sick or maybe, you know, whatever it is, this season is going to be different than any other season. And I thought Dan was was all over it when he said that whoever wins this, there's going to be an asterisk behind their name forever. Yeah, hey, it's one of those things. That's why I said you can't call it an MLS Cup. It has to be something else. 
Um, so the COVID uh, cup. Uh, yeah, that one has been suggested uh, uh, many times. Uh, uh, Ryan, uh, do you remember uh, Ryan and Kate were our two young uh, young people who I think went to prom or winter formal or something? They asked us to help out. Kate asked us to help Ryan at the whole thing. Anyway, I text them on a regular basis just to see uh, how they're doing, and they're both in uh, in Texas and they're getting ready to gra- graduate as seniors in high school. Uh, so I was just sort of checking in on them, seeing how they're doing. They're doing like a drive through uh, drive through graduation. Um, because they can't obviously all go. So that apparently you're going to get your car and drive. Th- I, I, I told them, I go, listen, I know it, it sort of stinks that you you have this happen to you, um, but you're going to have a way better story than I have, which is I just went to graduation and I walked and I, I threw my hat up. You have something where you had a drive through graduation. Um, it just, it, to me, I'm like, you know, keep it all in perspective. Everybody's healthy, safe. You guys are doing good. So just, you know, enjoy the time and enjoy how different this is than probably anybody else is going to have, um, you know, around you. And you're going to tell your kids one day, um, you know, that this is what happened, that you had to drive through graduation because of, uh, what was going on with, uh, the coronavirus during the time. So, well, uh, you know, in, ending the second semester of my senior year in the middle, um, might have helped me graduate on time. Now that I think about it, <laughs> there, there you go. Then that probably, that probably would have. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? Are you good? No, I think I bored everybody enough by now. That's it. I think we're good. Uh, all right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. And please head on over to latimes.com. Kevin's writing articles about like everything, so please check it out whenever you can. Uh, Metro reporter, sports reporter, reporter, LA Times. Dot com right there for you. All right, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Gessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-M, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast, uh, at Galaxy Podcast on Instagram as well, in case you're not following us over there. Uh, but please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. We do have some articles up there. I am starting to get back into writing a little bit more uh, as things have sort of uh, cleared up and uh, I understand my schedule, I think, a little bit better. Um, so please check on cornerofthegalaxy.com uh, over there. All right, I think that does it uh, for Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter. I'm Josh Pato Gessman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast, and be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.